0: This morning's reading is from the letter of James, chapter 4, verses 6 to 12, on page 1,215 in the Church Bibles, page 1215, James 4, 6 to 12. But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Morning. Oh, I'm spilling my drink already. Now, if, if you haven't kept your Bible open, I, w- I haven't got any passages coming up, but I've, I've got some other things coming up there. Um, it's page 1215 in your Bible, this passage. So if you keep that open, that would be great. If you don't know me, I'm Andrew, and I'm one of the people on the uh, leaders and preachers team. So let's just pray before we look at this passage. It's James 4, 6-12, to and it's on page 1215 in your Bibles. Let's just pray for a minute. Because this morning, if we could have the first slide up, that would be good. Um, this morning we're thinking about he will lift you up. The first, sorry, he will lift you up. That slide. Thank you. Thank you. So Jesus, we pray, Lord, that you'll lift us up. We pray you'll lift our society up. We pray you'll lift the churches up. We pray you'll lift our world up, just as you were lifted up on a cross to sort out all that's wrong in us and the world just as you were lifted from death in your resurrection. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit so we can be lifted up and revived this morning. Amen. As you probably gathered, we're thinking about being lifted up and revival. Lifting up, revival. So hold that in your mind. Uh, But one of the things, you did see the picture just now. This is the view from my bedroom window in the morning. And that is the sunrise. And we had the verse uh, kindly read to us from James earlier. Our James. Not James, the brother of Jesus. And uh, I'll remind you of the verse because this stayed with me when Eddie mentioned this before Christmas. This picture of Jesus called the rising sun. So this picture of the rising sun helps us to understand something about Jesus. It says in Luke 1, because of the tender mercy of our God, God's tender mercy, that's how he feels about us, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. The rising sun, Jesus is light. We can learn from the rising sun. Look at that. I see that from my window, not every day, not today. Cloudy, but the rising sun Jesus is still there, of course. So when we look at the rising sun, so look at that picture, and I want you to use your imagination. When we look at the rising sun, okay, it's only a picture. It's an illustration, a reminder of how wonderful, beautiful, bright, powerful Jesus is. When we look at the rising sun, maybe there are a couple of things going on now as you look at the picture, as you think about it. We might look at the beauty of the rising sun in the skies. It starts to illuminate in the morning. We we look with anticipation as we think ahead to the day, lighting up the day, and excitement maybe at what the day might bring. We look with awe and wonder at the rising sun, at the power of the sun, which, which really keeps us all going, that power of the sun. And I would say, we, we enjoy looking at it. You're looking at it now. I enjoy looking at the rising sun. It's beautiful, but it's got promise of a day to come. So keep, keep that, those pictures, whatever came into your mind as well, keep those in your mind as you look at the rising sun. But I think something else happens too. As I said, I look at this in the morning when it's, it is visible through my window, So here's a picture of my window. Yeah. I thought my window was okay. You know, I can see out of it okay. I mean, I can see out of it. But when the rising sun shines on it, I can see, as you probably agree with me, the window's really not as clean as it should be, is it? I can see the build-up of grime on it. And I think to myself, I really ought to clean the bedroom windows. The winter is over. They need a clean. And of course, I could say, well, I can't be bothered to clean the windows. And that may still happen, of course. They're all right as they are. I can still see out of them. You could just about see the rising sun. I'll leave things as they are. But if I'm honest, I know my bedroom windows need a clean, don't they? Look at that. Now, I'd like you to hold on to that simple illustration I've given you there of the rising sun and the dirty windows as we look at these verses from James, who was Jesus' brother. And I think James, his story, among other things, can help us see an example of someone who was dramatically revived, renewed, turned around. So let's think, first of all, about James and hold that picture there in your mind as we go on. So James, along with Jesus' family, they were opposed to Jesus. Now, it's it's quite easy to miss this if you read the Bible, but they were opposed to Jesus. I don't know if that's your family. You might be the only Christian in your family. I don't know. But Jesus' family were opposed to Jesus. Maybe, you know, thinking about it, uh, maybe there was some resentment. The oldest son, Jesus, has cleared off at the age of about 30 And he's gone off travelling with this group of people that he's picked up. There were quite a few radicals around at the time. They would follow maybe a radical rabbi like Jesus. uh, And they were out to overthrow the Romans. All this kind of stuff was going on. So maybe his family just didn't get what he was up to. And and therefore they, they kind of put him in that category. We don't know for sure. But certainly, if he's the, the oldest son, he'd be he prepared to, to help with the family and sustain them. And his dad had probably died by this stage, or Joseph, his adopted dad, in a sense. Um, and so he was the, like the, the big breadwinner. He was the oldest son. So maybe that was part of it as well. So if you read in Mark 3:21, don't look this up. Stay with James. But this is after Jesus has appointed his disciples, the, all these young men traveling around, It says, Jesus entered a house, again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. You can imagine his mum saying, look, he's not even eating, he's gone mad. He needs a decent meal, look, he's getting thinner and thinner. Can not you imagine this? When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, they said, he's out of his mind then if you look at John 7, 3-9 to Jesus' brothers said to him they were in Galilee, I'm assuming I haven't double checked this, I might have got it wrong I'll check with Richard Godden later, he'll know but I think they were in Galilee the brothers said to him, leave Galilee go to Judea they're trying to offer him advice and get rid of him for even his own brothers did not believe in him, John comments so his family didn't believe in Jesus even though he's God walking around among them they don't, don't believe in him They're opposed to him. And if there are frictions in your family, and this happens, Jesus understands your situation, because he had those similar problems with his family. So he understands what you're going through. Anyway, later, Jesus lifted up on the cross to die to save us all from our sins, to clean our windows, so to speak. Jesus is lifted up from death, he's resurrected, the stone is rolled away to reveal the empty tomb. He's not there, he's risen. And then, after that, Acts 1.14, it says all the disciples join together constantly in prayer after Jesus has risen, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, so his mum's there, and with his brothers. So they're there praying with the disciples now. Something's changed. His mother and brothers are there praying with the disciples and following their waiting, revival comes in a big way on the day of Pentecost and beyond. Lots of people become Christians. Lots of people turn around and become followers of Jesus. The revival comes too to Jesus' family. So pray for your family, keep going. You might have been praying for them for years. Keep going. So as we can see here, James then becomes a leader in the Jerusalem church. So he's not just become a follower of Jesus, he's he's actually a leader in the church. It says Acts 12, Peter has been miraculously brought out of prison, and then it says Peter motioned to them, he's talking to the disciples, he he motioned them to be quiet, described how the Lord had brought him out of prison, and he says, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. So James was one of the leaders in the church, he's key. So he, he didn't believe in Jesus, now he does. Then again, Acts 15, James resides over a council in Jerusalem very wisely that let the Gentiles, non-Jews, that's people like us, most of us, into the church. Um, and then on Paul's second visit to Jerusalem, Galatians 2.9, calls, Paul calls James an esteemed pillar of the church. This is the one who didn't believe in Jesus. An esteemed pillar of the church. So how did James become a follower of Jesus then? That's the big question for me. I like to ask questions. What made him change his mind? What did it for him? Well, certainly we know James saw Jesus risen from the dead. That was key. Because Paul writes, Jesus appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them were still living. Some have fallen asleep, died. Then he appeared to James. Sounds like it was an individual appearance. Then to the apostles, last of all, he appeared to me, Paul, as one abnormally born. So James has appeared. Uh, sorry, Jesus has appeared especially to James here. And then James, he was certainly convinced of this. He didn't waver because he died a martyr around AD 60, 62 for his faith in the resurrected Jesus. So you know, he stuck with it, didn't he? He's a man to be admired. So, James experienced this massive turnaround, a bit like Paul. He saw Jesus risen from the dead. That changed everything for him. He looked at his familiar brother Jesus. Do you imagine this? It must have been so mind blowing. You've grown up with this person as a child and everything. You know, you could easily just see them as as a someone like you, which they are, a human being. It's his brother. But he also now realises that Jesus is also the risen son of God. He's somehow both human and divine. That's amazing. It's mind-blowing for us sitting here today as well. So he had this massive turnaround. But I wonder if when James looked at Jesus, he, he saw something here of the rising sun about him when he was risen, with his resurrected body. Maybe he now looked and listened to Jesus, and James looked with anticipation at the lighting up of a new dawn in the history of the world. He looked at Jesus with excitement, maybe, at what the resurrected Jesus would bring. He looked with awe and wonder, like we look at a sunrise, at the power of Jesus risen from the dead. And I think he enjoyed looking at Jesus, his risen brother, who he'd so underestimated, full of grace, as the passage tells us, full of grace, love, and truth. And of course, that's a question for us. Do we look at Jesus in that way? Or do we just see him as another human being? Nice bloke. I'd like to go down the pub with him. He's a nice bloke. Are we a bit like James sometimes when he was at home with his brother Jesus, probably working as a carpenter? This is before Jesus began his three year travels around Israel with his disciples, because James probably saw Jesus as just his familiar brother, as I mentioned. So when Jesus left home, James' familiarity with Jesus prevented him from seeing Jesus as he really was. Jesus was James' brother. But he also, as I said, he's God come to visit us, to move into our neighbourhood. God with us. God whose beautiful love should inspire us, leave us in awe, like when we look at the rising sun in the morning. So a question for all of you, maybe people online. Are you so familiar with Jesus? You might just be seeing him as a human being like a brother, but not a overwhelming, overwhelming, loving, awesome, powerful God who created us and everything. Just think about that for a moment. I think the challenge of James' life is to look at Jesus, ask God to show you who Jesus really is. He just saw him as his brother. When he was resurrected, he realized who he really was. God incarnate, God with us. God, even more powerful than the rising sun he made the rising sun and just pause now I want, I want to halfway through this we're more than halfway through but, um, just pause and think about that ask God to show you him as he really is just close your eyes and ask God to help you and maybe if, if it's not for you maybe for your family spend this time quietly in prayer And worship him because he's so wonderful. Just for a couple of minutes. And ask God to revive you. We praise you, Lord. we praise you Lord as we see the sun shining through the window. That's only a, a tiny bit of how wonderful you are. And we pray Lord you'll show us your, your resurrection self as well as your humanity this morning and that we will really turn to you and praise you. Revive us O Lord. And now we'll move more on to the passage. Because if God shows us how wonderful, how powerful, yet full of grace and truth Jesus is, there's another consequence for us, which James points out in these verses. He says in verse 8, so if you look back to your Bible, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And if we look at the rising sun, keep with that picture, it's beautiful, but it reveals. The light shows up the grime, just like those marks on the window there. So if you go to the next slide, yeah. So when we come near to the loving light of Jesus, we realise our need for forgiveness, cleansing, as we're faced with the absolute loving God. Absolute, beautiful, peaceful love and grace in Jesus. We realise our windows need cleaning. Now, we can remain in denial of that. We can say, well, I won't bother, I'm okay. Or we can humbly admit how we really are and come to him wanting to turn around, as we did earlier in the service in our confession. But in order to do that, you have to be humble, James says. So James says in verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Submit, Submit yourselves then to God. And submission means yielding to the perspective or position of another. Yielding to the perspective or position of another. That's what we're meant to do, according to James. And if that other is God, then I think that's a pretty good person to yield to, because he's got the overview, which I haven't got. Now, I'm reading a book on research at the moment, and it's into near-death experiences. That might sound a bit dodgy to you. I've always been interested in these. Um, And what they are is people who've died for a while and have had an experience while they were dead and then came back to life, which is more common than people may think. There may be someone sitting here who's been through that. I met someone around the corner a while ago who had been through that. And the thing about this research, there are a thousand bits of research and various people's experience all over the world. And there's, there's quite a strong pattern in these. Uh, that's fairly consistent. Although people, often they don't really understand what they're seeing, they don't have a biblical worldview, but it's very similar to what you see in Revelation and other places in the Bible. Anyway, the one of the most well-known ones is one I'd heard of, this bloke called George Ritchie in the Second World War. So he experienced Jesus. He, He died and then came back to life again when he was 22. And he experienced Jesus as he described him when he he was sort of dead, he said, a man made of the brightest light he had ever seen and the most overwhelming love beyond my wildest imagining. The most overwhelming love beyond my imagining, he said. And, and And he talked about Jesus' arms of love sort of coming round him And as he experienced God's love, his whole life passed before him with the good bits and the bad bits that he'd rather forget. So he's enveloped in this. And Jesus, I think, was showing George Ritchie the truth about himself while at the same time overwhelming him with his love. And I think that's what tends to happen too to people when they're being revived or in revivals. And the, the most recent revival that I've heard of is this one. Um, in Asbury, in America, Asbury University, Kentucky. And what's interesting about this one is that uh, it didn't depend on some particular charismatic leader, you know, it wasn't a Billy Graham or something. There was no leader, but there was this profound sense of the presence of God. As students gathered for extended periods of prayer and worship, there was no leader, by and large, except the Holy Spirit, People turned to God, repented, became Christians, were healed, revived in their faith in Jesus. There was this tangible sense of the presence of God. You could say the membrane between heaven and earth became thinner. So revivals still happen. And there's an example. And James here writes, Submit yourselves then to God, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And there was plenty of that going on Asbury as people really did business with God there. But to submit, we had to yield to the possession of the other, the perspective or position of the other. And when that other is Jesus, full of love, what he shows us is the truth, it's hard to ignore him, because I can't pretend I don't need to clean my windows anymore. I just can't pretend. I want to be renewed and revived and lifted up. And James says, humble yourselves. Look closely at that great love God has for you and admit the truth that we don't love like God on many occasions. And then God's so wonderful that he, he cleans our windows for us, so to speak. Then we lift it up, then we can see more and more of his light. And we're only scratching at the surface now, really. There's much more to come when we'll see him face to face beyond death. Do you want that? Do you think this is real? Is this fantasy? Have you experienced this? No one's speaking. It happens, you know. That's what I want to see here. That's what I want to see in our nation. I don't know about you, but I think this is the best thing since sliced bread and more. That's what I want. And I think there's another aspect of submitting to God here that goes beyond the ethical issues that are fairly obvious a lot of the time. At the end of the passage, if you look at verses 11 and 12, um, you know we generally know if we've messed up. It talks about slander, slandering our neighbor and so on. If we're not really loving our neighbor as we should, that's fairly obvious to us. But there's one more thing about submitting to God that I think maybe we don't focus on quite so much, or I don't says, come near to God and he will come near to you in verse 8. If we come near someone, then we generally want to listen to them. And in the case of God, then we need to act on what he says. And clearly, obviously, one of the main ways we listen to God is through the Bible. But I think we all need to practice listening to God on a daily basis. We just need to practice more. I need to practice more. And I'm trying to, not very well. And... Um, and we've been doing a, a thing in our small group called, from this book called Another Pete Gregg Thing, which is the prayer thing we're having soon. If you have the next slide. How to Hear God by Pete Gregg. I don't know if you can see that very clearly, but it looks like that vaguely. And it's been really good. And so we've been trying in our small group to, to listen to God more. And I've, I think I have shared this. You may not have been here, you may have been. So I apologise if you heard this before. But when I was going to do Beer and Carols, which I do around at the pub at the British Oak down the road at Christmas. I was walking down the road, and I said to God, look, is there anything I've forgotten that I, you know, I should be saying tonight? And, and, and this really strong thought zapped in my head, go back home. And I thought, that's ridiculous. That must be the devil or something. That's, I've got this completely wrong. I can't go back home. I've got to go to the pub to do the beer and carols. So I carried on walking, you know, ignored him went round the corner, Jane, my wife, said to me, Andrew, have you remembered that that lead that you need for the music, um, you know, so that they've got the music when you lead up to the beer and carols, you know, that you play, I thought, oh no, I know exactly where that is, that's on the bedside table in my bedroom where I see the rising sun, I know exactly where it is, so now I've got to go back home. So I think we need to practice listening to God. That's what I'm saying. I'm trying. I'm very trying to God, I'm sure. (laughs) Anyway, so we need to listen, and we need to do what he says. I listened. I didn't do what he said. So practice listening to God, like everything else in life, we need to practice. That's my big message. And obviously, Stephen has talked to you about a course he's running on this very thing. The last session in that is listening, particularly in prayer. So please do come on that course if you can. So let's just pray for a minute to finish. Lord, help us to draw close to you, Lord, who's like the rising sun, beautifully bright, revealing, totally loving. Let's be humble enough to acknowledge that our dirty windows, as revealed by the rising sun, need cleaning. And uh, uh, Jesus, as we draw close to you, help us remember, as James, your brother, realised, that you are a human being, you understand what we go through, but somehow you're also God, awesome, full of light and love, who loves us completely and is to be trusted totally. Lord, help us to draw close to you so that, and submit humbly to you so that you can draw close to us. Please fill us and revive us with your Holy Spirit. Renew us personally, revive us as a church, renew all the churches, all of our area and the nation as people trust in you, Jesus the rising sun, amen.